If you please turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, we are in chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 49 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 961 and 962. And this is our seventh sermon in chapter 15, and we're only about halfway through the chapter. But don't worry, I don't plan to preach another seven uh, sermons in uh, in this chapter before we get done. Lord willing, just one more. Next week, Lord willing, we should finish uh, chapter 15 for a total of eight sermons in that chapter. But the end is near. We only have probably only about another three sermons in chapter 60. So the end of 1 Corinthians is, is near. But this is a, a rich and, and dense chapter. That's why it took so many sermons to go through, because it's talking about a very important subject. It's talking about the resurrection. And just to recap where we are so far in this, in this chapter, the specific, the specific problem that Paul is addressing in this chapter is that there were certain people in the church of Corinth who, due to the influence of the Greek culture and wanting to conform with this culture, they were denying the teaching of the resurrection. Specifically, they were, de- they were denying that there was a bodily resurrection of the dead. And Paul has spent 34 verses so far making clear that the dead are indeed raised. In verses 1 through 5, Paul gives the testimony of Scripture. In verses 6 through 11, he gives eyewitness testimony. In verses 12 through 19, Paul provides this compelling, logical argument. If the dead are not raised, then Christ was not raised. And if Christ was not raised, then the gospel is useless. And And those who have died in Christ are lost. If the dead are not raised, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then finally, in verses 29 through 34, Paul uses the personal example of the suffering of himself and and the apostles and asks, what do we gain? What do we gain, humanly speaking, if the dead are not raised? And the implied answer is, we gain absolutely nothing. In this next section, in verses 35 to 49, after establishing that the dead are indeed raised, Paul now answers another objection. The objection is, how can this be? How can the dead be raised? And in doing so, Paul gives us one of the most inspiring, one of the most uplifting passages in all of Scripture. As he he describes the future reality of every single one of us who is in Christ, Paul describes this amazing, this this mind-boggling truth about our resurrected bodies, what we will be like, what our eternal state will be like. And it's so amazing that if I wasn't showing you in Scripture, you would think I was making all of this up. So we're going to go through. It's going to be an exciting, this is an exciting chapter to go through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 41. Hear now the word of the Lord. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it will be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you. We praise you for these words that you have given to us. These words that describe our ultimate reality. What each one of us who is in Christ will one day be. So glorious that we could not even imagine it today. So, Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will help me. Help me to describe these, these verses, describe this reality as best as my feeble lips can do. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we will see. You will give us a, a, a glimpse, a, a, a shimmer of what we will be. And that will inspire us. That will encourage us. That will enable, enable us to persevere in this fallen world while we know that this is not our ultimate reality. But our ultimate home is with you on a new created, a new heavens, a new earth for all eternity. And Father, we pray that you will be glorified during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we need to understand right from the, right from the start when we're studying this passage that this question that's asked in verse 35, that this is not an honest question. This question, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, it may seem like an innocent question as we're reading. It may be a natural question. Uh, that each one of you may have. We may want to know how this can happen, how our bodies can be raised from the dead, and what our new body will look like. But we know that it's not an honest question. And how do we know this is not an honest question? Because we know this because of Paul's reaction in verse, 20, uh, verse 36. He says, you foolish person. And those of you who were here last Sunday evening as we began a new evening series in the book of Proverbs, you'll know that when the Bible speaks about the fool or foolishness, it's not speaking primarily about a lack of knowledge. When the Bible refers to a person as a fool or, or as, as making something as foolish, what it is doing is making a moral judgment. The fool is willingly blind to God's truth. The fool hardens his heart to the things of God. And Proverbs also uses a synonym for, for the word fool. It uses the word mocker in referring to the fool. And that's what's happening with this question. This question is really a mocking question. So as we've discussed in, in earlier sermons looking at this chapter, the idea of a bodily resurrection from the dead, this would have been considered obscene. It would have been offensive to the Greek culture. See, Greek philosophy saw the spiritual as good and saw the physical as bad. They considered death to actually be the liberation of the soul from the body and a pathway to enlightenment and to freedom. So this question is coming with this mocking tone. You can think of it like this. So, so how are the, the, the dead that are being rotting in the ground or after being riddled with diseases or broken down by old age or mangled by an accident or burned in a fire, how are these people raised? What will their body be like? And the implied answer is that this will be gruesome, that this is a ridiculous question. The whole idea of a bodily resurrection is ridiculous or obscene. I mean, think about, I'm sure you've all seen those zombie movies, right, where you have these, these dead corpses that are, that are reanimated, and then they're in their mangled and rotting condition, and they continue to decompose further and further. 
And why do they do that? Because they're not alive. They're dead. They're just reanimated dead bodies. They're the undead. But the body's natural healing mechanism has ceased in zombies, so they continue to deteriorate, become more and more rotting and more and more deteriorated and more and more disgusting as they go on. Or you might think of Frankenstein's monster, right, where Dr. Frankenstein reanimated these various corpses that, he, that he's sewn together to create this freakish monster. This is what is implied by this question that's asked in verse 35. <clears throat> but this question reveals a major misunderstanding about the resurrection. See, resurrection is not simply a reanimating or a resuscitation of a dead body or even reconstituting that body to be back what it was prior to its death. See, reanimating, or that, is, that is what we see in the zombie. That's what we see in Frankenstein's monster. It's, it's, it's dead corpse just being able to move, almost like mechanically. Reconstitution or resuscitation, that's what we saw in Lazarus when Lazarus was raised from the dead. See, Lazarus was in the dead for, for four He was in the, the tomb for four days. And his body was already decaying. So much so that when Jesus wanted to move the, the, the stone, his sister Martha said in, in the King James, I love the King James version, he says, but he stinketh. He stinketh because he's been dead for four days. So Lazarus was not a, a reanimated, walking, stinking corpse, but rather he was restored to what he was, the condition prior to his death. But Lazarus was not resurrected. See, Lazarus would get sick again. Lazarus would eventually die. And this misunderstanding is not held just by the Corinthians. I think we too, we too often hold the same misunderstanding. So there are some of us who are hesitant to be, to be organ donors, fearing that we get in the resurrection without our eyes or without our lungs or without our hearts. Or others would oppose cremation on grounds that a cremated body can't be resurrected because you know, God somehow can't get all these ashes together and resurrect it. Or just, or just to fear as we get older and our bodies start to fall apart. We get this fear that I'm going to be stuck in this condition for all eternity. Or maybe you never liked your body. Maybe you want to be taller or, or thinner or, or just different. You don't want to be stuck with this body for all eternity. But my friends, that's not what the resurrection is. See, yes, there is a continuity. There is a continuity with our physical bodies to be resurrected. But there's also a significant difference. Significant difference. And Paul uses this analogy of the seed to explain both the continuity and the discontinuity. So we see in verse 36, he says, what you sow, a seed, does not come to life unless it dies. So what does this mean? Well, when the seed is planted, it dies in the sense that it's no longer a seed. It changes, it germinates, it, it sprouts roots and stems and leaves. It goes from being a seed to becoming a plant. And the seed dies, but it also lives. It lives not as a seed, but it lives as a plant. To think of it, of it another way, what is the ultimate purpose of a seed? It's not to be eaten by a bird or even eaten in our salad, no. The ultimate purpose of the seed is to become the plant from which it came. But the seed, for all intents and purposes, if you look at a seed in your hand, it looks lifeless. It doesn't do anything. It's basically dormant until it is sown. And then, if it, unless it's sown, it remains unchanged. And some seeds can actually last for years in this state. But once it's planted, the seed comes alive. Then the seed fulfills its purpose and becomes what it was always meant to be. And while the seed is technically alive, the plant is even more alive. The plant has even more abundant life than it had as a seed. Well, this is what the resurrection is like. Our physical bodies are the seed of our resurrected bodies. Our physical bodies, yes, they are alive, 
but our resurrected bodies will be so much more alive. They will have even more abundant life. They will have life on a totally different level. Our bodies are, you can think of our bodies as the seeds in the graveyard, as the seedbed for our resurrected bodies. Verse 37 gives a little more information about what this resurrected body is like. It says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So, so think of an acorn. An acorn, you can hold 10, 15, 20 of them in your hand. But from that tiny little acorn can grow a huge oak tree, 100 feet tall. And it makes no logical sense that something so small as this little acorn can produce this huge tree. And if we weren't familiar with this, we would say that this was impossible. If you didn't know anything about trees or, or seeds, and I told you this little tiny seed can create this big tree out there, they would, you would think I was crazy. you say, where does it fit? Where, where is that little tree? Where is that big tree in this acorn? When it's, and it's not, only, it's not only the size, but the overall form and function is completely different. A seed is in the ground. A seed is in the dark. It cannot draw energy from the sun. It has no roots to draw water from the ground. But the the tree, the tree is naturally equipped with leaves to to draw energy from the sun and and roots to draw water from the ground. And the tree or the plant not only benefits itself, but also benefits the surrounding environment. See, without vegetation, life on earth would be impossible. And so there, there is a continuity between the seed and the plant but this continuity is not the sameness. The, again, the acorn is not, is not the same as the oak tree. There's a vast difference between the physical manifestation of a seed and a physical manifestation of a plant growing from that seed. And this is what it will be in the resurrection. See, our resurrected bodies will be us. They will be recognizable as us. They, but they will appear and they will function significantly different. And the differences between our mortal bodies and and our resurrected bodies will be even more than the differences between an acorn and a mighty oak tree. And we need to understand that our resurrected bodies will not simply be reanimated or restored to our current condition. These resurrected bodies will be fundamentally different. Again, think about seeds. You could have two seeds that look very similar and uh, the same size, size, but from one of them can grow a huge tree Another will grow maybe a sprawling bush. Another might grow wildflowers, significantly different. So why do you get a tree from one, a bush from another, a flower from another? What determines the type of body that is produced from that which was so? Well, verse 38 gives us the answer. It says, but God, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. See, God is the one who has determined the body that is given to each seed. See, they're not the same. There's a huge variety of bodies that God has created. And this is not just talking about human bodies or even living bodies. As we see in verse 40, Paul is talking about heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And there's a a vast difference between all these bodies that God has created. And here is the key point that Paul is making. The body that is given to each entity is given to allow that body to function in the environment into which God has placed it. Look at verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. God has created humans for the environment in which he has placed us and for the purpose for which he has created us. We're land animals, so we we breathe air. We don't breathe water. We have been given by God dominion over the earth. 
So we have large brains, opposable thumbs, the ability to form social communities, the ability to to work the land, the ability to manipulate the environment, all things that are necessary to fulfill this function of dominion over the earth. Think about birds. They are... They have the ability to fly. They are to fill the air. That's what God created them to do, as we heard in our, in our Genesis reading this morning. Fish, they swim in the water. They can breathe in the water. God has give, equipped them to fulfill the purpose, to fill the seas. And God's creation of bodies to fit their environments is not limited only to living creatures. God even gives bodies to what we would consider inanimate objects. Take a look at verses 40 and 41. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another kind. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. I mean, just think about when you look at the stars, isn't it amazing? Isn't it glorious? You can't look at the stars and not be amazed at this glory that you see, especially you see stars and, and, and pictures from telescopes. You can't be amazed at just the detail and the magnitude of the, of the creation that God has created and the glory that he has given to them. And notice that it says that each of these bodies have their own distinct glory or splendor. This is their own outward manifestation. And they are distinctive. They are not the same. You don't confuse the sun and the moon and a, and a fish and a bird. They are distinct. And this analogy applies to our resurrected bodies. We, too, are unique. We, too, will have our own glory. Think about it. We will have our own glory. And I think this, the song that we sing, Amazing Grace, is true. We will, when we're there 10,000 years, we'll be shining brighter than the sun. Think of the sun. Each one of us, each believers, will be brighter in glory than the sun is. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So we have our own glory. We will be distinct. We will be recognizable in our resurrected bodies. We will intuitively know each other in our resurrected bodies. We will be distinct. And Paul here is using examples from the physical world to illustrate for us how it is possible that the dead are raised. He is showing us that raising of the dead is fundamentally different than what the Corinthian doubters expected. Fundamentally different than what many of us expect. So we know we are not what we're not going to be like. We know that we're not going to be reanimated zombies. We're not going to be continuing to decay. We're not going to be re- resuscitated and restored to the same condition we are now prior to death. But we want to know what we will be like. We want to know what we, we know this is going to be continuity. We know we'll be, be distinct, recognizable and distinct. But we also know we'll be vastly different. But we want more details. We want to know exactly what, what this body is going to be like. Well, thankfully, Paul does provide many details here in verses 42 to 49. So let's start off just looking at the details he gives in 42 to 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Wow, I mean, it's amazing what we're given here. We're given specific areas, we're given contrast, basically. Contrast between our natural body and our resurrected body. And these verses, they, they narrow these differences between the, these two states. In the previous verses, we're, we're told there's going to be vast differences. Here we see these differences identified. And here's a list of characteristics of our natural body, characteristics we have right now today that will not exist in our resurrected body. 
And you know what's really exciting about this? We, we will not be giving up anything that we wish we would keep. In fact, we will only be giving up things that specifically wish we could not keep. We could give up at this very moment right now. So let's look at the first thing we're going to be giving up. Verse 42 says, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Perishable, this word perishable. It describes our current state. The, the Greek word behind could also be translated corrupt or decay or, or rotten or decomposing or, or destroy destruction. And this, these words describe our current physical bodies, right? We're all decaying. We're, we're, we're all in the process of dying. Some more than others, but every single one of us is in this process of dying. But this decay and this perishability will not be present in our resurrected bodies. Our resurrected bodies will be imperishable. And the English translation here implies a mere opposite or an absence of the perishable. But Greek, this, in the Greek, it implies so much more. The Greek word here means indestructible, immortal, unending existence. This is, is much more powerful. See, basically, each one of us will be a physical superhero. Think of, of the Incredible Hulk or, or Superman all rolled into one. We will be like that. We will be indestructible. And this idea is continued in the end of verse 43. It says, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. See, physically, we are weak. We reach our, our, our peak strength, maybe in our, in our 20s or maybe our early 30s. But then our strength declines. Anyone who's over 30 and understands this. Now, the problem for those of us who are in our 40s and 50s and 60s, we still remember what we used to be able to do. And you know what the, the number one cause of injury is for old men? It's thinking that we're young men. That's the number one cause. And we still try to do what we thought we were able to do. And I think of the country song that describes me. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. And the reason I say that is because I still think I could do what I would do. And I try to do what I would do. And I would do it once and I would become crippled and can't do it again. I remember trying to do pull-ups. I, I love doing pull-ups. And I said, let me see if I can do as many as I did in high school. And I did. I did as many as I could do in high school. And that was it. I couldn't do it for a year, another pull-up. Because I pulled out my arm and I could not even move my arm after I was done. That was really dumb. But in the resurrection, in the resurrection, I will be doing one-handed pull-ups all day. But it won't be a big deal because every one of us will be able to do one-handed push-ups then. But that's what we see. That's what our body is going to be like. And not only will our resurrected bodies be powerful and destructible, there will be no imperfections. Think about this. There will be no imperfections. The first part of verse 43 says, It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. See, dishonor comes from physical defects or imperfections. And we each have these imperfections. That's why we look in the mirror. We put makeup on. We try to comb our hair to cover it. We try to wear clothes that will, that will cover our imperfections. And we all wish we had something different about our bodies. We want to be taller. We want to be thinner. We want to be more muscular. We want to have better skin. We want to have better hair, whatever it is. See, in the resurrection, all of those things will be perfect. I heard one person say there will be no mirrors in the new heavens and new earth because we will all look perfect. We don't need to look in the mirror to see, to fix anything because there will be nothing to fix. And this is not only talking about physical imperfections, which it is, but even more so it's talking about moral imperfections. See, our bodies are fallen. Our physical desires are fallen. They are corrupt. They are dishonorable. And this is, this is sad. This is a sad fact that's true for even Christians. 
In fact, much of the struggle of the Christian life comes because of these competing desires we have. The desires of our new nature to follow Christ and the, and the desires of our fallen nature. And Paul expressed this struggle perfectly in, in Romans 7. Let me read this. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Now I do what I do not want. is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do it right, evil, I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Don't we feel that way? Don't we all feel that way? We, like Paul, are, are these wretched men that, that, living in this, this fallen body. But our resurrected bodies, our resurrected bodies, will have no moral imperfections. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And praise God. See, today there are Christians. There are, there are true Christians who have been redeemed or born again. They are united to Christ and they struggle mightily against the flesh. This is a battle for the this is a battle that, that we will fight for the rest of our lives. Some struggle with addiction, some struggle with anger, some struggle with sexual sins, some struggle with same sex attractions or, or gender dysphoria. Again, this they they struggle and battle these sins maybe for the rest of their lives, never obtaining complete victory, always feeling these temptations, always fighting these temptations. But my friends, this is the Christian life. The Christian life is a battle, and it will be a battle until our last breath. But here's the good news. Here's the glorious news that we see in this passage. This struggle is not eternal. Those moral imperfections will one day be completely gone, gone in the resurrection. Never, ever, ever to torment the resurrected saint in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what we have to look forward. That's what this passage tells us. And the problem we have now and one of the most frustrating aspects of, of being a born-again believer is that we are now in an alien environment. We are actually in an alien body. We have a soul that has been supernaturally transformed. We were once dead to the things of God. We were once in slavery to sin. But we are now, now in Christ, we are alive to God. We are set free from the power of sin. And spiritually, we have been made fit for God. Think about that. Spiritually, we are made fit for God. We are made fit to be in his presence for all eternity. But physically, physically we're still in this natural body. Physically we're still in this fallen world. Our body is natural and it is designed for this natural fallen world, which means it's subject to decay. It's subject to corruption. And this is the cause of so much misery that we experience in the Christian life. This is the misery that Paul spoke of in Romans 7, the, the passage I just read. This is why Paul cries out. This is why we cry out, O wretched man that I am. And as we grow in our sanctification, as we mature in our walk with the Lord, this wretched condition just becomes more and more evident, more and more burdensome to us as Christians. But look at verse 44. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
See, in the resurrection, we will no longer have a natural body fitted for this natural fallen world. But we will have a spiritual body, a body that is fitted for the sinless new creation, equipped to dwell in the presence of the triune God for all eternity. See, if we tried to do that now, if we came into the unmediated presence of God, direct presence of God, in all his glory in our current bodies, we would be instantly destroyed, instantly destroyed. It's like we were placed on the, on the surface of the sun. We would be instantly vaporized. I mean, think about when astronauts do a spacewalk or walk on the surface of the moon. They need this spacesuit to protect them, to protect their bodies, because their bodies are naturally equipped for life on this earth, not in those environments. And unprotected, they would be instantly destroyed. Scripture says no one can look upon God and live. Remember when Moses wanted to, to, to see God's glory? God had to shelter Moses in the, craft, the cleft of the rock. You can think of that as his spacesuit that God had to put on him. And God only could allow his back to pass by Moses. Again, God had to protect him from that, Moses, from, from that glory because, and shield Moses. Otherwise, Moses would have been instantly destroyed by God's glory. But our resurrected bodies, our resurrected bodies are designed and fit for this new environment. Just as a fish is designed to, to live in the water and a bird is designed to fly, we will be designed to live in the direct presence of God for all eternity. Can you imagine that? We, we want to have God, we want to see God's glory, but we can't now. Then we will see his unmediated glory. I mean, it's amazing. And our resurrected bodies will be spiritual. Now, this doesn't mean that they'll be not physical, there'll be some uh, ethereal thing floating around. No, that's not what this is talking about. Our resurrected bodies will be very much physical. What spiritual means in this context is that they will be compatible with our regenerated new nature, our spiritual nature, and they will be fitted to be in God's presence for all eternity. Right now we have a mismatch. We have a mismatch between a redeemed soul and a body. Yes, our body is still united to Christ, but it is still fallen, and it's not redeemed. So, so there's a mismatch. That's why we groan in our body, but that won't be. It will be a perfect matching at that time. And in the last five verses of this passage, verses 45 to 49, we're giving a final description of what our resurrected bodies will be like. In these verses, we're giving a prototype. And the prototype is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected body is a prototype for each one of us in our resurrected bodies. In these verses, Paul gives us a contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verses 47 to 49, the first man, Adam, the first man, Adam, whom, in whom each one of us is born, was from the earth, a man of dust. And the second man, this is Christ, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So those who are in Christ are going to be like Christ. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, image of, of, of fallen man in Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ. So this is saying that each one of us, each one of us born in Adam, we've talked about this before, natural man of the dust, we are like Adam. But those of us who are born again, those of us in Christ, we will be like Christ. Our bodies will be like his body. His resurrected body is the prototype for our resurrected bodies. So just think about it. Going through the, the Gospels, the accounts we have of, of Christ after his resurrection, not much, but we have some accounts, we know that he was physical. We know that he could be touched. We know that he could eat. We know that he could also pass through locked doors. We know that he could instantly travel from one place to another. 
We know that he could ascend into the sky. That's how he ascended. He could fly like Superman. Again, we're, we're going to be like superheroes. And this is what our resurrected bodies will be like. I mean, just think about it. Think about the vast universe that we can explore. Just by thinking about it, the trillions and trillions of stars and galaxies, just by thinking about it, we can instantaneously be there. This is what our destiny, those of us who are united to Christ, this is what our destiny is. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. So let me, let me try to, to rein all this in and, and say, what does it mean for us? Bring some, some applications for us. What are, what are some applications for us in this passage? Well, the first application, and this is the application of every sermon I preach, if you are not a believer, your only application for this sermon is to come to Christ. Because what I've talked about, this is only true for believers. This resurrected body, this is only true for those who are united to Christ. You're not united to Christ, you'll be worse than a zombie. That's kind of what it would be like. Your body will continue to deteriorate. You'll have a physical body, and it'll continue to get worse and worse and worse, but you can't die. It'll, it'll be awful. You will just continue this infinite downward spiral. So each day will be worse than the previous day. So you, if you're not a believer, your only application is by faith to receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And if you don't know what this means, if this doesn't make sense to you, what I'm talking about, if you're not sure you were born again, please, please speak to me. Please speak to one of the elders. Because it is this point. It is critically urgent to make sure that you are right with God. This is your only application. And again, the reality of the resurrection articulated in this passage is only true for born-again believers. For the person who, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, is a new creation, who is no longer in Adam, the natural man, is now in Christ, the spiritual man. So if this is you, come to Christ now. But if you are a born-again believer, if you have made a public profession of faith, if you are a member of God's covenant community, you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, you endeavor to live like a Christian, then, then your application from this is to be encouraged. Be encouraged by this ultimate and eternal existence that each one of us will have. Be excited. Be excited about what we will one day be. See, even the very least, and the very most, the most unimpressive Christian here, one day will be a being so powerful, so magnificent, so glorious. If we were to see that person right now, if that person came into our sanctuary right now, we would be utterly terrified or tempted to worship, or both. That's how amazing it is. My friends, this reality changes us. It changes our perspective with respect to this world, with respect to the, the temporary trials and difficulties and frustrations that we experience in this world. All the, the prayer requests of, the, of the, the frustrations in this fallen world, they are all temporary. They are all significant. They are not worthy to be compared to what we will be one day. And God is using every single one of them for what we will be, to make us what we will be. As Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Because that is what we have to look forward to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouragement that we have of the resurrection. And Father, I pray for every single one here. If there is any here who are not believers, Lord, I pray that you will change that now. And you can hear my voice. Any on the live stream who are not believers, that you will change that now. But for those of us who belong to you, give us that hope. Give us that vision to know what we will be one day and allow us to endure 
these momentary afflictions that are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Allow us to, to do that. Allow us to glorify you. Allow us to trust in you. And it's, and it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.